0: You're listening to the Veritas Podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. We're helping move the hearts and minds of more college students to believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, find us on social media at Veritas Como. We hope you're encouraged by this message.
1: Hey, so I had the uh, opportunity to go to a professional soccer match the other day. I wanted to call it a game, uh, but Davis Patrick informed me that it's a match. So uh, clearly, I know very little about soccer. Uh, I'm happy to watch uh, when the U.S. is in the Olympics, when we play in the World Cup, but I'm not exactly a huge soccer fan. Uh, I'll go, though, when someone pays for my ticket, which is exactly what happened. And in fact, the only two games that I've ever been to uh, have actually been pretty awesome, to be honest. Uh, In part because the home team won, and when the home team wins, it's difficult to not enjoy being caught up in the excitement and energy of the crowd, but also because both games were decided by PKs, penalty kicks. Now, if you don't know what a penalty kick is, I wouldn't fault you. Remember, I know very little about soccer, so let me help you out. A penalty kick, uh, think something has happened, something has gone wrong, a penalty, and a player gets to kick a ball into the goal, hopefully. So they put a ball about 10 to 12 yards away from the goal. No one between ball and goal except a goalie. Now, this play, the penalty kick, it's, it's an exciting play. It's a play that has uh, lots of uh, anticipation, build up. But, but for what it is, it's pretty quick, right? I mean, it takes all about half of a second for a player to kick the ball into the goal. And, and this play that lasts half a second, uh, what, what happens is one player is typically the hero, and one player is the chump. And usually the chump is the goalie, because when nobody is in front of you, how do you miss a goal, right? Well, in fact, uh, people miss this goal all the time. <laughs> um, and so I was reading about this, and, and I thought, okay, I'm two for two. Uh, why, why, why so many PKs, and, and why do people always score? And so I started, I started looking, or why do people actually miss? And so, so I started looking this up, and I thought that this was interesting, and so forgive me if you don't, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, here's the deal. So apparently, in a penalty kick situation, uh, a goalie is going to dive left 57% of the time. So I don't know who does these kinds of studies, this kinds of research, how you get statistics, but, but, but here we are. 57% of the time, the goalie will dive left. 41% of the time, the goalie will dive right, which means 98% of the time, the goalie's moving left or right which leaves 2% of the time the goalie stays exactly in the middle, doesn't move. Two times out of 100, that goalie doesn't move. Now, if I can get those statistics, anybody can, and you would think that professional soccer players could too. And so if you are the player kicking the ball, where would you kick it? Right down the middle, right? Two times out of 100, the goalie stays put. 98 times, the goalie moves. If you kick it right down the center, you're going to score a goal almost every single time. So, of course, that's what everyone does, yeah? You know where I'm going. No, that's not true. Only, actually, 17% of penalty kicks are kicked down the middle, right at the goalie. Now, now it's interesting. You would think, why, why if, statistically, this is almost a sure bet, why wouldn't people do it? And so here's what players say. They say, okay, the situation is this. If I'm standing here and there's no one, no one in front of me except the goalie, and I kick that ball right at that goalie, And they don't know these specific numbers, but in their mind, if that goalie happens not to move, remember, only two times out of 100, that goalie's not going to move. But if that goalie doesn't move and I kick the ball right at him or her, I'm going to look like a huge idiot, right? Because who kicks a penalty kick right at the goalie? It's statistically a sure bet, almost, right? But nobody does it. So, So think about that. Professional soccer players won't kick at the goalie because they're worried about what the crowd, they're worried about what their coaches, they're worried about the the players on their team opposing, they're worried about what people think about them. They they won't take the sure goal because they want the approval of other people. See, wanting the approval of other people on the field and other people watching the match, it, it convinces them that kicking left or right is far more sensible than kicking down the middle when in fact it's not. As it turns out, wanting the approval of other people, it's a powerful thing. It's like a drug. We, we want it. We need it. We got to have it. And maybe that's why sociologists in the USA Today, they do, a res- uh, they do a study, some research on college students, and they say this. Sex, booze, or money just can't compare with the jolts of self-esteem. See, what these researchers did is is they get together a group of college students, hundreds of college students, and they study them. What do they love? What do they like? What do they want? What do they desire? And what they found is that time and time and time again, nothing compared to receiving praise from other people. Not sex, not money, not friends, not alcohol. No, none of that. Just give me some praise. Now, of course, it's not just college students, right? It's not just college students, it's not just us that want praise from other people. I, I, I read once that Kim Kardashian, she took 1,200 selfies in a day. What possesses a person to take 1,200 selfies in a day? Now, I honestly have no idea why she took 1,200 selfies in a day, but my guess is it's similar, right? Nothing compares to the jolt of self-esteem. We put pictures out and people like them. We put pictures out and people comment. They tell us good things, nice things, hopefully at least. Nothing compares to the jolt of self-esteem. Kim Kardashian knew it. We know it. It's why many of us, most of us, probably all of us to an extent, it's why we're chasing it, right? The approval of other people, it's a powerful drug. My friend Alex Moore, many of you know her. She works on staff here with Veritas. Every time I speak, she says, Kyle, are you nervous? And I'm like, no, Alex, I'm not nervous. And she's like, yeah, but you're probably nervous and the next time and the next year, She's like, you're probably, and, and, and it's kind of a joke now, uh, but once upon a time, it wasn't a joke, at least not my end of it, because these kinds of situations, to be honest, I was freaking out, right? I, I would spend hours and hours and hours pouring over paragraphs, pouring over individual words, pouring over sentences, trying to get it exactly right, whatever exactly right even means. That's, that's what I was trying to do. The night before Tuesday night, I, I, I wouldn't be able to sleep. The, the day of, I, I, I wouldn't be able to eat. Veritas would start, the music would get going, and I'd be in the back. I'd be pacing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, scribbling on my notes, crossing words out, adding words in, kind of mumbling to myself, trying to get things right, trying to ask God, hey, use this somehow, some way. And if I could be honest with you, I, I, at the time, I thought, man, I'm, I'm pretty... Like this is a sign of my spiritual maturity. I've, I've kind of got this. Like I'm working really hard. I'm I'm doing all these things. I'm taking all these pains and efforts. I'm working so long to the very last minute because I want to get it right for God. I want this to be for God's glory. I want to get every single word that comes out of my mouth. I want it to be for God. And then it hit me. I don't know. I don't remember exactly when I when it was, where I was, but but I remember it hit me. I wasn't really doing that for God. I wasn't really doing much of that for God at all. I was doing it for myself. More specifically, I was doing it because of what I thought you people, people like you, would think about me. You see, I cared far more about what people in the crowd thought about me than what God thought about me. I was using this incredible opportunity that God had given me. This opportunity that I now love, but I was using this incredible opportunity that God had given me to talk to college students about Jesus, to, to, to help college students see who Jesus is and, and what he means for their lives. I was, I was given this incredible opportunity to point people to Jesus, and instead I stood up in front of people and I was saying, look at me. I had an opportunity to point to Jesus as I, I was pointing to myself. Now, I get that that sounds ridiculous. Kyle, how could you? I I get it. It sounds ridiculous. It's true. I cared more about people than God. I cared more about pointing to myself than pointing people to Jesus. And I wish, I wish, I wish I could stand up here before you all and say that that probably won't ever happen again. That's not going to happen again. I'm not going to do that anymore. But I know my heart well enough. I know myself well enough to know that's not true because I really, really enjoy the approval of other people. I like the praise from other people. Nothing compares, so it seems. Maybe you can relate to that. If you were here last week at Veritas, uh, if you weren't, that's all right. Glad you're here tonight. But if you were here, you know that we started a a new series. We're gonna go through pretty much the rest of the semester. We're gonna go through the, the book of Galatians in the New Testament. We call it a book, but really Galatians is a letter. It's a letter written uh, by a guy named Paul, and it's written to a group of people, the Galatians. Galatia was a Roman province in the central region of what is now Turkey. And this letter, it was written about 15, 20 years or so after Jesus' death and resurrection. And one of the main issues going on, so it's relatively recently after Jesus has died and Jesus has risen. And one of the main issues, some of the context for what's going on behind the scenes, so to speak, in the letter to the Galatians is is that there's a group of people, we'll call them opponents of of Paul, the author. They're a group of people who are teaching these young followers of Jesus, these Galatians, they're teaching them what Paul calls a a false gospel gospel. In other words, what they're doing to the gospel of Jesus is they're they're distorting, or we could, we could say perverting. They're, they're twisting the good news of who Jesus is, and, and more specifically, how we become accepted and approved of by God. They they twist that into a message that Paul says it's not really good news at all. That's what Emily helped us to realize last week. It's not what 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 these people are doing, they're they're twisting the gospel, and it's not good news, Paul says. It's a perversion. It's a distortion. But Paul's opponents, they say, no, 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 Paul's the one doing it. Paul's the one being soft. Paul's the one watering down the truth of God's word. Paul's the one teaching a cheap gospel, a false gospel. He's, he's neutering God's word. He's watering down the truth of God's word. Why? Because they thought that all Paul really wanted was to get people's praise. They said, Paul, you're just being a people pleaser, and so you're softening the message. You're softening the gospel. You're taking things out of it so that people will like you. Paul, of course, doesn't like that, and so he says this. This is the end of the passage that we looked at last week, picking up in verse 8. Paul says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so we now say, so I've already said it, I'm gonna say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, other than the true gospel, let them be under God's curse. So, so preach a false gospel, be cursed by God. Believe a false gospel, be cursed by God. How's that for watering down the gospel? And then Paul goes on In the very next verse, the first half of verse 10, he says, Am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? Am I trying to please people, Paul? Really? That's what you think? I'm trying to please people? You see, the notion that Paul was being a people pleaser, it was so patently ridiculous to Paul. The notion that he was watering down the true gospel, that he was softening the truth of God's word just to to get the praise of people, it was so ridiculous to him. Why? Not because Paul didn't care about people. Not because Paul was the first human being in the history of the world not to want approval from other people. Not because he didn't care about what other people think of him. No, it was ridiculous to Paul because Paul knew something. He knew something that you and I can learn from. You and I need to learn from. He knew this, that we can't Please, you and I can't please both God and people. We can't have the approval of God at the same time as the approval of human beings. It won't work. We can't have both. And so he goes on at the end of this verse and he says this He says, If I were still trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. If I was still trying to please people, if I was a people pleaser, if I, if I was doing all this because I, I just want human beings to praise me, then I wouldn't be a servant of Jesus. You see, the approval of others, it's, it's intoxicating, but Paul says we can't live for both. We can't live for the approval of people and God. Proverbs 29, it says it a little bit differently. It says it like this. It says, fear of man, this is Proverbs 29, verse 25, fear of man. Man's just a generic word for people. So fear of people will prove to be a snare. Fear of people will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. See, see, fear of people, it's it's opposite of fear of God. Fear of God. That's a phrase that's used a lot. If if you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, you you might have come across that. It's quite often used. Fear of God. What does that mean? It doesn't mean to be afraid of God. It doesn't mean to be scared of God. No, instead, fear of God, it's this this phrase that means we we stand before God in awe. We, We revere God because of who he is, his majesty and his glory and his splendor. And so maybe you've heard this before, but think like Grand Canyon, right? You're standing, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, or maybe if you've even seen a picture, although pictures don't do it justice, but you're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, you're looking out, and you can't just help but be in awe of the beauty, of the vastness, of the, the majesty of this massive hole in the ground. That's the, that's the sense that, that fearing God has, but, but fearing people, it's the opposite, when we fear people, what it means is, is it means to relate to human beings in the way that you and I were created to relate to God. And so when we fear people, what we do is we, we elevate their importance. We hold them in awe, not God. We, we crave their approval. And subsequently, we we're afraid when we don't have approval, when we get disapproval see, fear of people, people-pleasing, it, it shows up in, in all sorts of places in the Bible. Here are a few examples. This is uh, 1 Samuel 15, 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I've violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. See, Saul disobeys God. Why? Because he's afraid of public opinion. People-pleasing, wanting the approval of people, made Saul afraid. He was afraid of public opinion, and so he disobeys God. Judges 16, we don't have time to look at it, it's too long, but essentially what we have in Judges 16, we have a guy named Samson, and, and he gives in to a woman named Delilah because he's afraid of losing her sexual attention. He gives in to her because he's afraid of losing her atten- He's afraid of losing her sexual attention. Paul, the same Paul that wrote the letter to the Galatians in his letter to the Ephesians, he says that that sometimes people-pleasing, this this idea of of fearing people, it turns into something he calls eye service. And what that means is that that sometimes we, people-pleasing, it makes us work, it makes us do things only to the extent that that someone is watching. I work hard only to the extent that, that someone is watching, someone is approving, someone is giving me some kind of reward or praise. And Paul says that that when we live like that, we can't actually live for God. When when we're working for people's approval, when we're working for people's praise, when we're serving people, we can't actually serve God. Uh, This is how Jesus says it in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 44. He says, how can you believe? How can you believe since you accept glory? How can you believe I am who I say I am since you accept glory from one another? but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. How can you believe? He goes on in, in chapter 12. He says, so, so the, the, the situation is people are, are starting to actually believe Jesus is who he says he is. And so we see yet at the same time, many even among the leaders of the day believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, the Pharisees were, were some of the religious, quote unquote, establishment of the day of the Jews. Because of the Pharisees, They would not openly acknowledge their faith. Why? For fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for fear that they would be kicked out of the church. For they loved human praise more than they loved praise from God. See, what Jesus is saying is is if we want the praise, if we want the approval, if we want the glory that, that comes from God, the only God, If we we want praise from people more than praise from God, we can't follow. We can't believe in Jesus. We won't actually grow. We won't want Jesus at all. We can't have both. We can't chase the praise of people and the praise of God. How do we know if that's true? If that's true, then how do we know? How do we know if we're living for God or if we're living for people? How do we know if we love human praise or if we love the praise of God? I'm sure there are lots of things that I could say right now, but, but here are some questions, a, a list of questions I want to ask you. And as I'm asking you these questions, I want you to think to yourself is, is this me? Is this me? So here we go. Do you ever give in to peer pressure? Do you ever give in to peer, produce something you don't want because your friends or peers are encouraging you to do something? You know you don't want to do it, but you give in. Are you overcommitted, meaning you can't ever say no? Do you find yourself constantly overanalyzing, constantly second-guessing, second-guessing decisions that you've made because you're afraid of what others will, will think about you or what they'll say about you or maybe what they won't do for you? Do you get easily embarrassed? Are you afraid of rejection? Is criticism is criticism especially difficult for you to receive? Do you find yourself frequently comparing yourself to other people? Are you jealous of others? Do you celebrate the success of others or do you secretly, quietly, inwardly compete with them? And what about this one? Are you afraid of sharing your faith in Jesus? Are you afraid of talking about what God is doing in your life, what God has done in your life? Are you afraid of sharing your faith with other people? Maybe your family, your fraternity brother, your sorority sister, your classmate, your professor, co-worker. You're afraid because of what they might think, what they might say, how they might respond and treat you. See, if he answered yes to any of those questions, and i'm guessing you did you might be a people pleaser and to be fair i think we all are to an extent i think every single one of us in here we're all people pleasers to an extent we all want the approval we all want the praise we all want the acceptance of other people because the approval of others it's a powerful drug it's a powerful thing in our lives Taylor Swift, uh, a couple years ago, released a documentary, Miss Americana, 2020. Maybe you've seen it. She talks about these things. It's a great documentary. Uh, I would encourage you to watch it uh, if you haven't seen it yet. But she talks about these things. And there are a couple moments in this documentary that, that are pretty emotional for her. And, and in part because she's, she's kind of reliving this period of her, of her career where, where it seemed like millions of people all of a sudden had turned on her. All of a sudden, millions of people had had gone from approving and praising and screaming and being crazy, I love you to I hate you, I don't want anything to do with you, you're the worst. This is is what she says. She said, when people decided I was wicked and evil and conniving and not a good person, that was the one that I couldn't really bounce back from because my whole life was centered around it. See, we're people, she's talking about artists, singers, musicians, creatives, we're people who got into this line of work, myself included, she's saying, because we wanted people to like us, because we were intrinsically insecure, because we like the sound of people clapping, because it made us forget how much we feel like we're not good enough, and I've been doing this for 15 years, and it's just, I'm tired. I'm tired. Herbert Swope, he said it like this. He said, I can't give you the formula for success, but I can give you the formula for failure, which is this, try to please everybody. I can't give you the formula for success, whoever Herbert Swope is, but I can give you the formula for failure. Try to please everybody because living for the praise of people, Taylor Swift said it, Herbert Swope knows it, living for the praise of people is exhausting. It's exhausting. We're tired of trying to earn the praise of people. We know that, right? Like, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we know that. We, the grind, the hamster wheel of, of trying to earn people's praise, trying to earn people's approval, it's exhausting. And Then why do we do it? Why do we, why do, we do it? Bono, uh, lead uh, singer for U2, he said it like this. He said, uh, what kind of hole, what kind of hole exists in the heart of a person when they need to have 70,000 people scream, I love you, in order to feel fulfilled? What kind of hole exists in the heart of a person when they need to have, and by the way, I think he's probably talking about himself, what kind of hole exists in the heart of a person when they need to have 70,000 people scream, I love you, in order to be fulfilled? That's true, but, but isn't it also true, man, we would kind of like to have 70,000 people screaming, I love you. Maybe that's not your thing, but there's something else. If we could just have this, if I could, if I could just have these people praise me, these, uh, this amount of people screaming, I love you, clapping for me, whatever it is. What kind of whole exists. See, see, that's why Bono says that we do it. Because every single one of us, we have a whole. We have a void inside of our heart that longs to be accepted. It longs to be affirmed. It longs to be praised. It longs to be approved of. And to be honest, that's not the problem. The problem isn't that you and I, we want praise. The problem isn't that, that we want approval. The problem is that we're looking for approval in all the wrong places. We love human praise more than we love the praise of God. We love the praise of people more than we love the praise of the only true God. Is that you? I'm raising my hand because it's me. I'll stand up here in front of you and say, that's for sure true of me sometimes. I love the praise of people more than I love the praise of God. And if that's true, if that's true for you, it's true for me, then I think we've got to ask the question, how do we fight it? How do, we, how do we overcome the fear of what other people think about us? What helps us overcome this, this desire to, to love what people think over what God thinks? Well, again, I think that there are a lot of things that, that we could say right now, but, but one thing I'll say is this, that above all, What helps us do this, what helps us fight, what helps us remember that, uh, what what helps us want God's love over, over human praise is remembering the good news of Jesus. Remembering that the good news of Jesus is that if your faith is in him, God looks at you. God looks at you and is well pleased. He looks at you and says, with you, I am well pleased. See, I want you to hear me say that right now. God is pleased with you. You. God is pleased with you because of Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. Nothing that we can do will take that away. Nothing anyone says, nothing anyone does will take that away. We'll change that. If your faith is in Jesus, God looks at you and says, with you, I am well pleased. See, when you're tempted to love the praise of people over the praise of God, I want you, remember, this is what God's word says to you. This is what God's word says to us. He promises us that he will not withhold any good thing from those who trust in him. That's Psalm 84. He says that in Jesus, we will not lack. That's Psalm 34. He says that we can trust trust God by depending on what he says about us. You and I, when we're struggling to to not want the praise of people and, and to instead incline our hearts toward God, want the praise, what we can do is we can depend on what God says, remind ourselves what God says about us. That's what Isaiah 50 says. But then what does he say? Well, this is what he says. He says that that he loves us. He loves you with an everlasting joy. That's what Jeremiah 31 says. He says he rejoices over you. God is rejoicing over you right now in this moment with singing Zephaniah 3. We are washed clean, Isaiah 1. We are forgiven, 1 Peter 2. We are righteous, 2 Corinthians 5. We're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, because of Jesus. We are a sweet, sweet aroma to God, 2 Corinthians 2. We are co-heirs with Christ, Romans 8. We are set apart by God for God, 1 Peter 2. That's what God says about you. That's what he says about, That's what he thinks about you right now. See, it's true. There is nothing that compares to the jolt of self-esteem, the jolt of, appraval, of approval and praise that comes from God, not people. All the approval, all the praise that you and I could ever need, it's in Jesus. We've got it in Jesus. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 139, it's a, it's a longer psalm, so I just wanna read a section, but, but this is... This is part of what it says. It says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. All of every single day ordained for me. It was written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And he's with us. See, as the music team comes up, I want to leave us tonight, I want to to leave us with a question. Who knows you like that? Who who knows you? Be honest. Who knows you like this, this author of Psalm 139? Who knows you like that? Everything about you. Everything you've ever done. Everything you're currently doing. Everything you ever will do. Who knows you like that and still loves you? Who knows you like that and still approves of you? Who who knows you like that and still accepts you? You see, I'd like to suggest to you that nobody, nobody other than Jesus, nobody other than Jesus, the one who made you, the one who chose you, the one who rescued you and adopted you as sons and daughters, the one who called you, the one who's sending you out into the world to be a part of his story, No one knows you like Jesus and still approves of you. You see, I know, I know, I know that it's hard for some of us here tonight to believe that this is true, but it is. Jesus loves you. Jesus likes you. He approves of you. He's pleased with you as you live your life for him. An author once said, he said, hey, you know, here's the deal. We're all living for someone, we're all living for some audience. The only question is, what audience are we living for? What audience are you living your life for? See, it's exhausting. Some of us right now, we are exhausted. We're tired of trying and trying and trying to earn the praise, earn the approval of human beings. And Jesus is saying to us tonight, he's inviting us to stop trying. You don't have to keep trying so hard. All you have to do is turn to Jesus because in Jesus is all the approval, all the praise that you and I will ever need. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Veritas Podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, make sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow us on social media at Veritas Como. Thanks again for listening.